As you remain standing, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15. Our text is verses 1 through 26 today. Mark 15, 1 through 26. And here is what God's Word says. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who'd committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Please be seated. Let's bow our head in prayer. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. Help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit we interact with your text, Lord, as we learn something and contemplate this King of the Jews. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're taking a little bit of a break, a two-week break from uh, our series and our sermon preaching through Acts, uh, just for this week, uh, for this week and next. So um, contemplating the cross of Jesus Christ. And what makes a Christian a Christian? 
what distinguishes us from a political action committee or just a, a do-gooder type of a society or some other religion. And uh, you could say the cross is the crux of the matter, if you wanted. You could say uh, something about Jesus and his life and his reason for coming and, and what he did. And Christianity can sometimes uh, devolve into uh, any number of things. And it's best when we make sure it comes right back to Jesus Christ, his person and his work, God's plan for saving his people. And so this morning I want us to think about this. And I was just listening to, um, I'm, I'm doing something different for personal devotions this year. I'm listening to it. Um, if, if you want to, here's a, a free a side tip. Uh, the crossway.org website. You can sign up for a Bible reading plan and you could start today. You could make this your day one. And they have any number of plans. And the audio part's free. So I get up, I get my cup of coffee. Sometimes I turn a little lamp on, sometimes I, do, I don't. I just sit there in the glow of, of the, the screen so I can think about it. But um, as I listen to McShane's version, uh, or McShane's reading plan, it gets you through the, the New Testament a few times a year, gets you through the Old Testament uh, a couple of times, I think, through the, the Gospels. And, and it's just a, a very good plan to get the Bible in. And I, when I was on Mark this passage, I kept hearing this one phrase over and over again in this section, and that's that phrase, the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. And I thought, what is the king of the Jews? What's meant by that? Why that title among other titles? And so it's this morning I want us to, to contemplate Jesus as the king of the Jews and the four different ways, five times, but four different ways that this phrase was used in this narrative of, of Jesus before Pilate. Four ways. It was used inquiringly. It was used comparatively. It was used mockingly. And it was used judgmentally. And there's something for us each time in this word. So think, think along with and, and consider the ways that King of the Jews is used. First of all, it was used inquiringly. It was a form of a question from Pilate to Jesus when he said, are you the king of the Jews? The setting is this. Jesus has been arrested and there's been a trial. The Jewish council had to hear him first. They could not settle on any concrete charges against him. They found a few people to come forward and say this and say that and do these things, but they could not settle on uh, on charges, and even the people that uh, were good witnesses uh, then contradicted the other witnesses. Uh, that sounds very familiar with some of our recent public hearings and trials and things, where they're out to get somebody, and they get somebody with some credible testimony, but then the next people come along and want a little of the glory, and they want to accuse too, but the stories don't mesh, and they can't get an airtight case. And they did not have a case against Jesus. And finally, they never said, are you the king of the Jews? They asked, are you the king of Israel? Are you the Christ or the Messiah? And Jesus basically said in chapter 14, let's get exactly what he said. Jesus, when they asked him, he, uh, he said, I, are you, they asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments. He might have torn them out of uh, frustration and despair, but I think he tore them out of relief. Good. We finally have a case. And he tore his garments. He said, you all heard this. Now we can get him. He claimed to be God. And so they took him then to Pilate. And Jesus in the morning has come in front of Pilate. And Pilate is a man. uh, He's a historical figure. Not only is he in all four of the gospel, and I guess he was uh, important enough that he even made it into our creed, so we we say him in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Uh, There's historical records of him and some things he did, uh, some of the ways they gave him his title and and the way the Roman uh, situation worked. He was kind of a climber within. He'd probably seen some battle experience and probably done well and distinguished himself. And he was on his way up, and uh, you could say middle management in the Roman uh, government. Uh, there's a couple of cases. Uh, the one, one really good record we have against him, oh, they hated him, that historian. But you say, well, you could find any one of our, of our recent pres- presidents, and if one document existed a couple thousand years later, uh, you, based on that one document, uh, uh, people are polarizing, and so it just depends on what document you find. Some people love him, some people hate him. Uh, a couple of true facts where we know about Pilate is, is uh, he did have people killed. He wasn't just spineless, wishy-washy as he is sometimes portrayed in the movies. Uh, there was times uh, when, he, uh, when he ordered the, the, the massacre and the murder of people. There are other times where he backed down. He brought uh, uh, the, the Herodian uh, imagery in, and, and the Jewish people said, we only worship uh, God, and so we can't have this. And he had his men draw their swords, and they were going to slaughter some Jews there uh, for that reason. And, and the Jewish leadership there that was protesting bared their necks and said, kill us. We're going to stand for, for monotheism, essentially. And Pilate backed down in that case. So we know a couple of things about him. We know he had a wife because the Matthew account talks about her. Uh, we know that he was a uh, good friend with Caiaphas. Uh, There's a situation where he may have taken some money that was given for the temple repair and there was a little bit left over and he used it for some government projects and all of that. People are the same. Uh, There's nothing new under the sun. We can relate to that. We can understand those types of things. That's who was there to try Jesus. The way that he asked, are you the king of the Jews? There's part of the Greek construction that the little pronoun there, and some of the people that are smarter than me that know their Greek, like if I had asked Brian, Brian would have told me this too, but uh, people that know their Greek, he said, are you the king of the Jews? And it was almost a mockingly, are you the king of the Jews? Like, I was expecting something and not you. And you got to understand, uh, Jesus, uh, no form or, or comeliness, no, nothing physically that uh, distinguished him. Uh, he was, had already been worked over a little bit and beaten. He was bedraggled. He's without sleep. He's, he's um, knowing internally what's coming to him on the cross. He's already been in the garden sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, saying, if this can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. 
Uh, Jesus knows what Pilate doesn't know at this time. Jesus knows that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to suffer the equivalent of an eternity in hell for each one of his people that he came to save. Jesus knows this. Pilate just looks at him and goes, are you? You? So you're the one. I was expecting something else. Touch of mockery there. You must be kidding. This phrase, king of the Jews, as he asked it, it is synonymous in Scripture, uh, used interchangeably with Messiah or son of David or king of Israel or even, as we saw in 61, the son of the blessed. The difference is that king of the Jews is used by the Roman government people. Uh, King of the Jews would have been interesting to Pilate because he's got to figure out a reason why to execute him or why to, to explain why he did not. And so it's a political question. The king of the Jews uh, comes from Pilate in a government uh, way. It's a Roman designation. Pilate is a Roman who's there to protect the interests of the Roman emperor. It is amazing to look at the various accounts. I'm going to stay tight with Mark, but a couple of references. The other three Gospels give some details that aren't in Mark. They're not contradictory. They add an explanation and they're put in their stories because of the Holy Spirit inspiring them to do that for whatever reason that letter and that purpose was. So in the Matthew account, and this I think is in one of the movies, uh, where the wife intervened. She had a dream. Uh, she wasn't Jewish, wasn't sympathetic, but God apparently spoke to her in a dream. And she said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Hey, today's a good day to call in sick. Let somebody else kill him. Something's not right. It's in the Matthew account also where he pulled out the uh, basin and he washed his hands of the matter, which is still part of our language. When somebody says, I'm going to wash my hands of the matter, it's on you. Made them say, it's on us and our children. We're going to do it. And he's like, I find no fault in him, uh, but I'll go ahead. The Luke account This is interesting. The people said to him in Luke, and Luke recounts this, the people said, this Jesus was misleading our nation. He forbade us to give tribute to Caesar, and he said that he himself is Christ, a king. And that's pretty rich, people accusing him of not worshiping the Roman emperor when they didn't themselves either. Um, The hypocrisy that's there, the double talk. It's in the Luke account that he sent him to Herod. Herod had a different jurisdiction. Um, and so he said, oh, you're a Galilean, you go to Herod, and the Bible talks about how after this, Herod and Pilate, they had something to talk about at parties then. Hey, remember that guy, Jesus, that I sent you? They were friends again. Uh, Jesus is the great uniter. He unites people of all races, all walks of life, both genders. He unites them uh, when they come to him as Christians, but he also unites the enemies against him, and Herod and Pilate were united that day in opposition to Jesus. John's account is very interesting, and there's a bit more there. John, remember, wrote after the other three had been written, and so John wrote more of a theological emphasis treatise, and maybe we think that in the human level, 
uh, though we know that it's God's word inspired by God, but on a, on a human standpoint, John wrote maybe there were some misconceptions that had gone around, and so he wrote to kind of uh, cement some things theologically as the church was growing. Um, uh, but John wrote this, Pilate asking them, what did Jesus do? They said, well, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't guilty. Come on. Well, what did he do? Well, you know, he's guilty of a lot of things. Um, Pilate says, well, judge him yourself then. If you know what he did and you're not really being forthcoming with me, judge him yourself. And in John's account, the people said to Pilate, but we don't have the power to put him to death and we want him dead. We want him dead. And we can't kill him because you're the Roman. You're the only one who can do the killing here. And that's why we brought him to you. Now just kill him. And it's Pilate asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, in a sense, saying, why are you asking me this? Is it a legitimate question or are you just repeating what you've heard? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my people would be fighting for me. Yeah, there's a kingdom. It's just not what you think it is. Pilate then says, what is truth? Now, this is funny because I, I've, I've, I've preached a couple of times where I've tried to get all philosophical. What is truth? Even Pilate asked, what is truth? I think in this setting, Pilate wasn't asking with a beaten up man who he kind of ridiculed a little bit to get a side note when it's this holiday and Pilate's staying not in his normal palatial place, but he's in Jerusalem for the Passover. I don't think Pilate wants to have a theological, philosophical, deep discussion on what is truth. I think he's basically saying, so what's the truth? i got to get to the bottom of this and go home. The, the roast is in the oven, and my wife's going to get mad at me because i got to go home, and we got guests coming. i got to watch the football game. That's the what is truth. What's truth? What's, what's truth? What's going on here? i got to solve this thing, and i got to solve it the right way. If I kill him, and, and it turns out to be a bunch of people against me uh, from the Jewish side, then Rome's going to think I'm a bad leader. If I kill him, if I let him go, and then he does turn out to be a insurrectionist and I had him, then they're going to get me. So he was a man needing a political solution. Are you the king of the Jews? Asking it interrogatively, a little bit mockingly, but mostly just trying to get to the bottom of it. Here's your application for this section. You might be as busy as Pilate. You have your career. You've got your wife and your kids. You've got these interruptions into work. Uh, uh, things, you, you want things to just run smoothly. Don't rock my boat. And you might think that some Jesus who claims to be King of kings and Lord of lords is not germane to your so-called important life. You don't hate Jesus like some people obviously do. You don't love Jesus like some people obviously do. You just don't see what's the big deal about Jesus. And so uh, if it's time, well, the king of the Jews, you're not, whatever. Laugh a little bit at the thought of him being king, but essentially blowing him off. And I'm saying, ask 
are you the king of the Jews of Jesus? Ask God to show you, but take it seriously. Not as a little box to check off. I've known a few people that have said, yeah, I've read the Bible through. I just want to be able to have the arguments, know what it said. Read all of Shakespeare too. Don't approach it this way. This is a more important question. Don't treat it like Pilate treated it. Are you the king of the Jews? Interrogatively, inquiringly, questioningly. Which brings us then further in the story where Pilate calls on the people to make a choice between the king of the Jews and the murderer of the Jews. Comparatively, Barabbas or king of the Jews. Pilate asks the people then to set Jesus up against Barabbas. And let's consider that for a moment. Presidential pardons uh, are nothing new. In history, there was a history of people wanting to make good with people. Maybe they go into a place and they pardon this person or that person. Uh, There was a conflict in a West African country we were praying for because it looked like some people we love and care about that are helping church planning there in Muslim country, uh, uh, the, the country was going to just explode. But then the of the country released his political rival, essentially pardoned him, waived whatever charges and all that, and it, it, it calmed the situation down. People give pardons. It was Pilate's custom to release one person. Here, it's not that Pilate was trying to correct a wrong in pardoning or releasing Barabbas. Pilate didn't say, we got this guy in here and he's a good guy, he's just misunderstood, and this is my way to get rid of him. Pilate picked a bad guy. Pilate thought, because Jesus was innocent, he thought the mob and the crowd would rather have Jesus released among them than the murderer and the insurrectionist. Who do you want walking around in your community? Who gets released? The murderer or the slightly crazy guy who thinks he's God? Who, by some accounts, has done some really good things, if they're true, from Pilate's perspective. We know they were true. Fed some people, healed some people. Something good has happened around him. The only people that he's a threat to is the power structure there. So Pilate was trying to get them. He knew that, he just knew, it was a political miscalculation. He knew that they would choose Jesus over Barabbas. That was going to solve his problem. He did not understand the dominant culture, the hold. We in our day would say this, even the the totalitarianism, the soft totalitarianism of thought and the way the controlling nature of those in charge could influence the people. He missed that. Cultural influencers. The chief priests, the scribes, the synagogue was everything. That was education. That was information. That was politics. That was art. That was morality. That was everything. And they could stir the people up as people today can get stirred up. And and, and enough stories that come at us, boy, we can be influenced. Crucify him. What do I do with the king of the Jews, he said. Now he's calling him the king of the Jews. And he 
insists on calling him that. Does he really think he's the king of the Jews? No. Little kid goes on Halloween. You come to the door. He's got his mom with him, and he's wearing his Superman shirt. And he's got his little Superman cape on. He's so cute. You say, hey, Superman, uh, here's, here's some extra candy for you. Now, you be safe. You protect your mom out there, Superman. That little kid grins from ear to ear. And he knows he's not Superman, but he, he's kind of almost believing it, the way you're treating him that way. And you're doing him a service. You're, you're dignifying him. Uh, it's not quite how Pilate was calling Jesus the king of the Jews. Another case we talked about, I brought it up because I was thinking about it, and I, I said it to the men's group, uh, the case where Muhammad Ali, at the height of his uh, great uh, boxing glory, was on the plane. And uh, the woman says, the flight attendant, she says to him, hey, you need to fasten your seatbelt. The plane is about to take off. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Now, Superman, (laughs) fasten your seatbelt. And it's more in that kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. What do you want me to do with the king of the Jews then? You want the murderer to come out and walk? How about the king of the Jews? What do you want with him? Um, Well, what did they say? Stirred up? Immediate answer. Crucify him. That should have been a shocking turn of events. Pilate had no political way out at that point. Except that he's the boss and he could have done it, but he didn't. But the people had him pushed. The application at this point to to this particular section is when you stop to think about it, aren't we and aren't all people faced with this choice on a regular basis? Who do you want walking around in your life, in your schedule, in your uh, contact list, in, in your things you do? Who do you want walking around in your life, making your decisions or at least influencing your decisions? Who gets released into that place called your soul? Barabbas or the king of the Jews? Make a comparison. Herod was making a comparison, or Pilate was making a comparison. Who's released? Who's the king? Who do we worship? A lot of us choose. I was listening to something this week, and I could not remember what it was, and then I finally remembered what it was. It doesn't matter who said it. The question that was asked was, somebody's wandering through the desert, and they... There's a well in the desert. There is a place that's life-sustaining. There's a place that would give them life, and they could make that. And they're wandering through that desert, uh, and they miss it, and they, they die of, of, of starvation, of thirst out in that desert. Does it matter how close they came to the well or how not close they came to the well, or does it matter that they did not get refreshment at the well and that they died, even if they were in the vicinity? No points for for dying uh, in the desert if you're close to the well or not. Who's released? Who's your king? Who's the king of you? The elusive American dream? (laughs) Next generation won't even know what that word means. There's no such thing. 
necessarily is an American dream anymore, but the American dream? Jesus addressed that on more than one occasion, that idea. He talked about building your house on a rock or building your house on sand. Where is your anchor? And so much of us, we want that house, build that house, get that established, whatever. Uh, Sand. Told of a man who built storehouses for his grain and he filled them up. And then he said, then he died that night. And the punchline was something like, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. I remember as a little kid, all these relatives were over. It was, I don't know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. And, and uh, they were asking, they were passing the dessert around. And somebody had made, they were all good pie makers for the most part uh, in, in Iowa. Uh, but uh, I remember as a little kid listening in on the adult conversations. And my mom said, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you diet. And I just thought my mom was the cleverest person for saying that. And that was just, but uh, you think about Jesus saying, uh, these things are elusive. Who wanders, what wanders into your thoughts? Barabbas or the king of the Jews? Company that uses you until it's through with you and then discards you. There's a reason why these songs like load 16 tons and what do you get another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't call me because I can't go. I still owe my soul to the company store. Who wanders in? Who gets the allegiance? The king of the Jews or a false king? A husband or wife that uses you until he or she is through with you and then discards you. That your king, your sovereign queen. That particular addiction that gives a certain thrill until it controls you and then turns you into someone that you no longer recognize and then either kills you or leads you to kill somebody else. Comparatively. King of the Jews or Barabbas. That's the choice they had. It's still a choice for us. And the pressure on the people. I still, I, I refer to this a little bit. Uh, Pilate wanted them, expected them, thought they would have said, normal people would have said, well, just give us Jesus then, the people, not the influencers, not the cultural elites, but the influencers. Read how I wrote it. But the social influencers, the cultural elites, the chief priests and Pharisees were not so blasé about Jesus. They knew that he was a direct threat to their godlike control and power. They were the big tech of their day. They claimed to be the voice of God. They said what's moral and what's not moral. And they had God's voice. We've got God in a box, says culture, and you have to conform. They were the education. They were the social center. They said what was moral and what wasn't. They said who was in and who was out. And they got the people to go along with them because the people were followers. And their power was so complete that they could stir up the crowd to say, release Barabbas among us and let him wreak havoc in our culture, in our neighborhoods, but kill Jesus. It's a question we have to ask. Inquiringly, 
Are you the king of the Jews? Comparatively, the king of the Jews or Barabbas? Third point as we're uh, moving along here. The next time Mark refers to the king of the Jews, it's not uh, said in an inquiring way or comparative way. It's out and out mockery. You will recognize this. You'll recognize this. A howl and a gibber of dismay went up from the creatures when they first saw the great lion pacing towards them. And for a moment, even the witch seemed to be struck with fear. Then she recovered herself and gave a wild, fierce laugh. The fool, she said, the fool has come. Bind him fast. Lucy and Susan held their breaths, waiting for Aslan's roar and his spring upon his enemies. But it never came. Four hags, grinning and leering, yet also at first hanging back and half afraid of what they had to do, had approached him. Bind him, I say, repeated the white witch. The hags made a dart at him and shrieked with triumph when they found he made no resistance at all. Then others, evil dwarfs and apes, rushed in to help them, and between them they rolled a huge lion over on his back and tied all his four paws together, shouting and cheering as if they had done something brave. Though had the lion chosen, one of those paws could have been the death of them all. But he made no noise, even when the enemies, straining and tugging, pulled the cord so tight that they cut into his flesh. Then they began to drag him towards the stone. Stop, said the witch, let him first be shaved. Another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Aslan's head. Snip, snip, snip went the shears, and masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. Then the ogre stood back, and the children, watching from their hiding place, could see the face of Aslan looking all small and different without its mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Why, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we were afraid of, said another? And they surged around Aslan, jeering at him, saying things like, Puss, puss, poor pussy. And how many mice have you caught today, cat? And would you like a saucer of milk, pussums? Oh, how can they, said Lucy, tears streaming down her cheeks. The brutes, the brutes. For now that the first shock was over, the shorn face of Aslan looked to her braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. And they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Such mockery. Such vileness. Such unnecessary. You're going to kill him. He submitted. Remember, remember, by the way, he said, no one takes my life from me. I give it willingly. Remember that. And there he is submitting to that, not just the death, not just what's coming as he bears the wrath of God the Father, but even the mockery of these little people. When they struck his head with the reed, they spat on him, they knelt down, they, they mocked him, they stripped him, and they led him out to crucify him. I told you about a time sitting on the bus in Iowa. I was like a middle-aged kid, and it was a country bus, so we all... All of us got picked up out there, and then we all went to a hub, and then we all got on the buses for our respective schools. 
And there's just this big guy. He's, a, he's just a farm kid. Just a, just a guy. Farm guy. Iowa farm guy. He's not causing any trouble. And there's some little kid one day gets it into his mind, younger than me to older than me. And I'm just sitting there in the middle of watching this. I'm kind of like Ralphie in uh, the, the BB gun movie, just watching this happen. And uh, the little kid just starts taunting, calling names, just really pushing this big kid. Uh, it starts hitting him, hitting him with his notebook. Other kids are watching and kind of laughing. And I'm thinking, man, he's playing with fire. And finally, the big kid did not have the restraint that Jesus did, and the big kid just hauled off and decked him. And of course, who got in trouble then? Big kids aren't supposed to hit little kids, but I I knew the story. I knew what was going on. Think of Jesus and the restraint, the mockery, the absolute mockery. One of the accounts says he could have called 10,000 angels. Think of the restraint at all times as Jesus died for you, his people. And you, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, a little extension of Christ, you might find yourself subject to the same mockery by the same types of people for the same reasons, which are no good reasons at all, but you might find yourself there. Jesus said, if they did this to the master of the house, won't he do this to the, won't they do it to the servants of the house? You believe that you're a citizen of another kingdom. And therefore, you pose a threat because you're not going the way that everybody tells you you have to go. There's a wide path and a narrow path. And by God's grace, he's called you. He's saved you. He's given you those gifts of repentance and faith in him. And you're swimming up against it. People don't like that. They're threatened. And in a hate-filled dividing, constantly dividing, more and more, dividing more and more and more. New group now. You, you, know, you guys are, have to have grievances against people. Let's, let's see how bad we can divide people and make them hate each other. That's the world today. And Jesus is the uniter. And you say Jesus' words, and you repeat them back, and you say Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And those are words for scorn. And you repeat the truth in the Bible that there is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And some will hate you enough to harm you for this. Some will mercilessly mock and ridicule you. Some will do both. Taunting and torment might even come from family members. And in all of this, Jesus, the King of the Jews, suffered with dignity. And by his Holy Spirit, you can as well. Here's our application that we need so badly from this section of the text. Matthew 5, 38 through 48, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I, Jesus, say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? He's saying there is a Christian way. There is a right way. 
and it's not to return hate for hate. Voice of the Martyrs uh, talks about all of the people. They say pray not just for the persecuted church around the world, but pray for the persecutors. Pray that as the people are being persecuted, that people see their good works and glorify their Father who's in heaven. And didn't even, at the very end, this centurion, this person that was in charge of these Romans doing the torturing, did he not say, surely this man was the Son of God? That's verse 39 of chapter 15. One more word of advice from Jesus, if this should happen to you. Luke 12, 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Your Holy Spirit, your God is with you. Jesus is present with you through the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing to fear about how I'm going to respond. But there's one thing you can't do. This is the last. One thing you can't do, even if God gives you the grace to be gentle and Christ-like in the face of opposition and persecution, the thing you can't do is our last incident where in this section where Jesus is called the King of the Jews. And that is that Jesus was executed as the King of the Jews. Verses 21 through 26. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus, who I think will make an appearance at the end of Romans. And so that's how Mark could refer to them there. They were part of the Christian uh, community there. But Simon probably, he, he certainly wasn't at that point. But they had Simon of Cyrene carry his cross. They brought him to Golgotha. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. It says in all the accounts he refused it. Why did he refuse it? One place it calls it vinegar. Uh, Some people have said, and this is the best thing I can think of, some said, well, he took the wine (laughs) so it could kind of drug him and he could not feel the intensity of the pain. Uh, That's that's speculation. I don't think that's true. Uh, Most likely it was continuation of the mocking. Here, king, have some wine, and Jesus wasn't going to play their games. That's, that's, That's the best I can come up with. There's three or four others, and you can look them up on your own. But he refused that as they offered that to him. Uh, they cast lots for his clothing and his garments. There's other accounts that talk about the one piece that uh, the tunic that you know, they had to. Somebody said they rolled dice, but nobody would have carried dice more like they played rock paper scissors for them or some game like that. But they they did something. So one one guy got his got his clothes. But listen to this uh, as they mocked him. But it says in verse 26, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And that's what was put up there. In John's account, they were really mad. They said, no, don't write king of the Jews, right? He said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate goes, no, I wrote what I wrote, and that's what stays. He died as the king of the Jews. That placard, titulus. I'm probably saying it wrong in Latin. I'm looking at my Latin guy. He's going. But anyway, that placard, that title uh, card was widely used, judging by the historical accounts written. This wasn't. Some people have said later on, well, they they wouldn't have put that up there above him like that. And that's just uh, that's just written into scriptures because um, 
it, it reinforces the Christian argument or it reinforces this. No, they did this all the time. It's sort of like those great, I like seeing these things. I thought about putting my dog's picture up there. Come home to Romeo on a Sunday. He's a good dog every day of the week, and Sunday is his fun day. <laughs> and when we're at church, Romeo finds a garbage can. <laughs> if we don't close all the that's his gar- that's his hunting day. And we come home and we go, Did you get in the trash? And he knows that word trash, and he hangs his head and he walks. And you've seen these things, and I want to put a sign around his neck that says, Got into the trash with him looking forlorn. I put him there with those other dogs of shame. But they did this in this day. There's an account, uh, a his, historical. This is not just Bible uh, history, which is, which is true history and what we can really trust, but even if you have secular accounts of history coming down. Uh, there was a, a thieving slave, an incident there where he had to, before they executed him, he had to walk around with a title, I'm a thieving slave. A man who insulted the emperor was thrown to the dogs. Uh, there's the title on him. Uh, there was a guy, Attalus the Christian, it, Quote, was led around the amphitheater and a placard was carried before him on which was written in Latin, this is Attalus, the Christian. Uh, there were these kinds of things done. The placard on Jesus was the king of the Jews. And this is ironic and it's good. And it's true because he is the Messiah. He is the king of the Jews. He is the one. He's the one who was promised. 1 Kings 2.45 But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Verse that Mark read, Psalm 132.11 The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. Isaiah 9.7 Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and of his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jeremiah thirty-three seventeen. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And then in Luke, when God sends the angel to Mary to say, hey, virgin, you're going to conceive and bear a son and, and you're not married yet, but here comes the, the Holy Spirit and here comes Jesus. Here's how he described, one, one way that he described, he said, Luke one thirty two. he will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of David his father. And he died properly described, maybe mockingly, maybe controversially in the world's eyes, but absolutely properly, he died as the king of the Jews, as the promised Messiah. And he's the perfect king. He's the king. He's not the king if you decide to make him the king. That old song, that jazz song by Chardet, your love is king, I crown you in my heart, your love is king. We don't say that to God. Your love is king, so we're going to crown you. Uh, We got rid of one of the songs out of our blue book that uh, it just seemed wrong and sounded wrong. It was like, and as we worship, uh, you build your throne, Jesus. We're going to worship and you build your We give you permission to be our king. That's not how it works. He's the king. You've got a choice. You bow down and worship him or you don't and see what happens. Pilate was like, what do you mean your kingdom is not of this world? 
uh, find Pilate now wherever he is and ask him, what did Jesus mean? And Pilate will say, I'll tell you what he meant. And I wish I had figured that out while I was still alive. He's the king. Uh, He laid aside everything. Uh, Philippians 2, and you know it. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to stay here. Uh, He laid aside everything. He laid aside what he had in heaven. He considered it not robbery to be equal with God, says the old King James. But when he came and he uh, learned obedience, as, as one description, he obeyed God, he suffered on this earth, he died. Now he is exalted. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he's the king, and, and we, we know that. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. And that cross was his throne. That's where he gave his first speech. And his first coronation speech on that cross was to tell us die. It is finished. All those people whose sins I came to pay for are paid in full. And he's your king. Summary, four little quick points, and we'll go to the table, which is wonderful to be able to go to the table after, uh, after the message is part of what we do. Uh, inquiringly. Ask. Honestly ask. You a- ask as if your soul depends upon it. Are you the king of the Jews, Jesus? Ask that. Comparatively. Compare who you'd like to have as the king. Compare who you'd like to have walking around in your life and influencing your life, Jesus or any of these others. Consider the mockingly and don't be afraid of that. Think of what he took and sustained. Uh, Take from this point, but I didn't say in the earlier part when we covered it, think about how much he must love you to endure what he did. Greater love has no one than this than a man lays down his life for his friends. And think about what he did knowingly. And as we've said before, not for the possibility that you might someday, but for you, Christian. Think about that. And then understand he is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it's our privilege to worship. And what a good king he is. Take that into Easter week. Let's come back next week and talk about the empty tomb, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your saving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the way you continue to feed us week in and week out as we get to worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.